from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the weekly internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Carl Franklin introducing show number 17 with guest Stephen Rose, recorded Thursday, July 19th, 2007. Run As Radio is produced each week by Plop Productions, offering professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. Hi there, this is Richard Campbell, and you're listening to Run As Radio with me and my co-host, Greg Hughes. Hey, everybody. How are you, Richard? I'm loving summer, man. Me too. It's uh, yet another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, sitting indoors as usual on a weekday. <laughs> Something about computers don't live well outside. But no, they really don't. They, I wish we, they did. We all have to work inside. I'm looking at our fall lineup, and we've got a lot to do. Of course, the big show for us is going to be the IT Forum in uh, at TechEd in Europe in Barcelona. Yeah, that'll be a whole lot of fun. But there's a bunch of other opportunities coming up too, and I guess we'll have to put some announcements together for those. But it's great to get out in front of uh, in front of live folks too, trying to do some IT related panels if we can get it all together. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. You know, there's a lot of um, one of the great things about being able to travel around and maybe uh, pick up some conversations with people around the world is getting that that broader and bigger uh, global perspective on things. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's real easy in North America to stay focused in. Uh, you know the little trips and the the, the uh, closer conversations, but you know this is a global universe that we're operating in here, and and IT is uh, is a universal truth. And it's a very interesting challenge to interoperate across those big time zone spaces and across languages as well. Absolutely, both both in terms of conversationally, you know, just interacting people wise across languages, but even technically across languages, there's probably some interesting conversations to have there. A lot of subtlety on making all of that work. You bet. I got an email for you. And this one's from John Dyer, and he has no preamble. He's just right into it. Obviously, an IT guy, and he's busy. Okay, I think you guys need to get Charlie Russell and John Seville to discuss the pros and cons of each method of running an app. I would like to know when one is better than the other. The company I work at uses Citrix to handle the issues of getting a standard client-server app distributed out to the users. I see that this can only go so far. I'm thinking application virtualization might be a better idea because it uses all those spare CPU cycles on the user's desktop without the hassles of getting the app installed and maintained on hundreds of workstations. But maybe Remote App has a few tricks up its sleeve. Or how about getting someone that is thinking that client server is dead and the web is here to stay? Jeff Atwood is having these thoughts, and he gave a link to CodingHorror.com, one of my favorite blogs. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff's a, not only a brilliant guy, but a great guy, and he's a whole lot of fun to read. I uh, I Shrinksterized it. If you want to read this particular blog entry, it's at Shrinkster.com slash R-E-I. All right, not, not a trademark. No, no, not the not the not not the uh, the mountain climbing the mountain gear store. But I didn't know Jeff Atwood worked for REI. He does not. <laughs> he he works for Scott Stanfield in Vertigo. Oh, so now Scott owes me a buck. <laughs> uh, and the blog post which is from back in March is about web interfaces being good enough, and he's really doing that whole Pareto's law. You know, this is at least eighty percent of the way for twenty percent of the effort. 
we should go with it. So it's a it's a great discussion. Yeah, it's it's welcome to our bipolar discussion of it's either web based or it's uh you know fat client. Right. There's um, no other way. You know, it it really is a gray world, people. <laughs> Let me finish up John's email here. So Joel Spolsky seems to be firmly in the web world, and I have to agree. Now there's somebody who has absolutely no opinions. None at all. Not None. a one. No, very smart guy. Very smart. I also think the days of installing client-server apps on each workstation are numbered. Do you see a theme here? Do you see John's pain? Yeah, I think, you know, and I, I, I can totally appreciate that pain. The, the, the overhead associated with administering and managing and, you know, and just designing, you know, large-scale distribution of applications. Um, you know, I mean, even Carl put together, you know, the Popcaster. Right. That's a, a click-once application, and that's what I use every time that we do a show. It's no work for me. I have no software installed other than I go to a web page and click one button, and everything else is just auto-magical, and it works really, really well. And so it's a client-side app. Of, it's a client-side app, but it's a web-based delivery, and so it's a hybrid kind of thing. So, the, I mean, you know, right there, there's a great example. Right. Software that I'm using to record this show right now is a perfect example of that. Yeah, I think it really does work that way. And it's exactly what John says. He's what he says. What is needed is for developers to understand the issues about installing and maintaining an app on the multitude of workstations that are the typical office scenario. I think a lot of developers just think, install it, and you're done. They don't really have a good feel for the real world of desktops. And then there's the issue of getting patches installed when the bugs start rolling in the service packs. Yeah, and then and then the developers, you know, they get into that into that murky world of maintenance of an existing, you know, right. everything's great until you have customers. Yes. And you get it installed, not just on desktops, but on servers. And then all of a sudden you have to start dealing with the real world, the mistakes and the bugs and the things that you didn't think of. Yeah. Have, yeah. Are you prepared for having clients running four different versions of your product? And if you need to roll out a new version of the product, then what does that look like? And that's where, you know, that remote delivery or that, you know, sort of that abstracted layer of delivery, maybe that's there's some real value there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Greg, let's introduce Stephen Rose. Stephen is the CTO and partner with Odyssey Consulting Group in Southern California. They specialize in infrastructure design and .NET application development. As a consultant, Stephen has worked with many companies like Ford Motor Company, IBM, Fifth Third Bank Corp, McDonald's, Pacific Western, OSI Systems, Rapid Scan Systems, ADP, PGA, St. John's Medical Care, Apple Computers, UCLA Medical Center, DMBMB, Pacific Western, IDOX Technologies, and the Miller Brewer Company. Now, there's a list for you. His technical certificates include MCSE, MCT, MCSA, MCP plus I, as well as a myriad of CompTIA certs. And Stephen was just named a Microsoft MVP for networking. In fact, I believe I was there for that, Stephen. Yeah, you were. Ah, uh, yeah, I was. Thank I you. was with uh, Daniel, your who's your partner too, yeah. right? Yeah, Daniel was also named once again the uh, MVP in uh, ASP.NET. Awesome, yeah, and I'm I'm an MVP in ASP.NET as well. So uh, we're just a happy bunch of MVPs today. Absolutely, I get to hang out with all the cool kids like you and Michelle Bustamani <laughs> and all the fun folks. <laughs> right, well, you met down in the uh, the SoCal Code Camp a few weeks back, and uh, had a good time there. That was a really a great Code Camp. Two days, uh, I think it was as many as ten rooms running. It's amazing, and a huge group of people. So we're talking virtualization, which seems to be taking over the universe these days. <laughs> 
It, it, it very much is. It's, um, it's interesting. I attended a CIO conference uh, last year that was done by um, uh, one of the major magazine companies, and it was just amazing to watch company after company after company, and large ones like AT&T, um, you know, Fox Networks, et cetera, talk about the amount of machines that they had virtualized over. And probably the funniest thing was, was a lot of them, as they started to virtualize machines, didn't tell management and had management actually working on them when they said, well, how's it going to be? And they go, remember that, that server used for this every day? It's already virtualized. Yeah, you don't even know it happened. It's invisible to you. It, it just, yeah, exactly. It just, it's magic. In a lot of cases, I think we've, we've experienced that here at where I work. We have, we have hundreds of virtualized servers and machines. Um, and, you know, I think that there's been some trial and error over the last two to three years, especially in terms of, especially in terms of performance optimization, right? But, uh, it's come a long, long way. Some of the hardware extensions that are available now is that you can, it all ties together. You can really get some pretty incredible flexibility and performance when you do, uh, machine virtualization. Exactly. It, it's interesting because I walk into a lot of clients now when we go, why are you buying 10, 15 blades? Why aren't you buying a really good beefy server? One of the ones that I'm, I'm a big fan of is uh, HP has a G5 series server that supports four dual-core processors and up to 64 gigabytes of RAM. Right. So 16 processors, 64 gigs of RAM, you can run a lot of virtual machines on exactly. that. Exactly. And what's great is for, you know, for they drop in two processors, they drop an X amount of RAM, they decide that they want to handle... You know, another 10,000 clients that we can literally order a processor and RAM overnight, spin up one or, or two new machines with literally very little cost and almost no time. Uh, you can spin up a machine in 15, 20 minutes, a new server, and you're immediately ready to go. And you can handle the changing needs of, of companies incredibly effectively, much faster than ordering a new blade server, getting it in, installing your operating system, configuring it, joining it to Active Directory, and going through all those steps, which is cumbersome and time is money. It's difficult. Yeah, and if you, especially a, a lot of organizations, for example, that run large professional services where they're doing custom work on custom software for for their clients um, and with the, the lack of predictability in what you might need when, virtualizing is certainly a way to go. Interesting you bring up Blades. One of the things that we have some experience with is actually using Blades to be those virtualization hosts and with uh, my my experiences with the latest IBM Blade Center stuff. Um, but with the hardware extensions and some of the newer stuff that's out there, Blades, we're getting huge capacity in a very, very compact rack space um, with terrific performance out of virtualized servers even in that environment. And that's exactly it. You know, you're consolidating your servers by running all your apps now on a single server, which is going to reduce the hardware, the power, the cooling. I've had clients that have reduced their floor space by 50, 60, even 70%, you know, virtually overnight by doing this as their servers, rather than replacing them or as they come off of lease, starting to migrate that over. And it also makes that in just deployment and testing of software. It's great when you've got application developers and you say, no problem, let me spin up a virtual server for you. If you break it, I don't care. Yeah, I I have you know loaded up in about somewhere around probably twenty U of space or twenty four U U's of space in a single rack. What used to take several yeah. racks of pizza boxes, you know the the one U servers in order to uh, going from from separate hardware to virtualized and you know, a lot of a lot of improvements on that virtualization software, both on the Microsoft side and also on the VMware side and others um, that have made a real difference in terms of bringing it into the mainstream and being able to really run, you know, high availability applications as opposed to, um, you know, 
basically just being a glorified, you know, virtualization toy. Absolutely, I agree, hundred percent. Well, and you, I, you know, you guys have got all kinds of love here for virtualization, we do. but for me, I'm still worrying about the failover solutions. That tank machine goes down, and I've taken down a lot of servers. So you talk about clustering across these things. This is between two different machines, both running virtual machines. And that's what's great now is that clustering services for, for SQL and for servers are now supported by the by, by, by virtual by Microsoft's virtual server two thousand seven and by the VMware products, you now can support clustering, which gives you much greater levels of redundancy. The other nice thing is, you know, we're gonna assume that most people are backing up images, and what's great is if that whole box does fail, and that's you know, we're looking at redundant power supplies in the new servers. It's actually separate motherboards for the processor. So you can actually, on these new HPs, have one of your two motherboards go down, and you're only losing half your processors, half your RAM. You're not actually losing the machine at all. And, yeah, I mean, you bring up a very powerful point here, Stephen, which is that hardware these days is pretty darn reliable. Yeah, yeah if it goes down, you were somebody was not doing their job for a very long time. Yeah, you've had lots of warning. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that we really love about this and, and what a lot of our clients are chatting about is they're going to, you know, what I like to refer to, for, you know, there's Web 1.0 and Web 2.0. Where we're looking at a lot of companies now going to Infrastructure 2.0. We now want to bulk up our servers. We're ready to buy our second round. We want to get thinner. That storage has dropped so much that now they're looking at moving into one and two, four, eight terabytes of NAS or, uh, you know, of, of, of storage space. Right, and the cost of the cost of running multiple locations and having your redundancy not just meaning that you have redundant hardware, but that you have redundant physical locations. The cost of everything has come down fairly substantially, and certainly with a lot of the physical disaster and other disaster type events that have happened over the last, say, seven years or eight years or so, you know, a lot of companies are taking very seriously. You know, how do I manage these machines across multiple locations? What if I need to fail over to another location? Distributed systems architecture has certainly come a long way, and all of this stuff really dovetails together. And, and that is an excellent point. I think also just the ways that that people think of networks. I think one of my favorite conversations was a, with a client here, and and I'm, I'm I was born and raised. You know, I wasn't born. I was born in Montreal. I was raised in Chicago, so I don't know much about earthquakes. They scare the crap out of me. <laughs> And now living in Southern California. You know, the earth opens up every once in a while. And I had a client who turned around and he said, well, we have everything on tape. And I said, okay, that's great. Well, these machines you have are, are three and four years old. So when you buy new servers, what are you going to do with that tape image when none of the hardware that now you've purchased, not even the processors, match up? Yeah. Exactly. And the real answer is absolutely nothing. Exactly. You know, there, 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 there's, there's a great product out that I really like that's called, um, that's from a company called um, uh, Acronis or Acronis, as some people call Love it. Love Acronis. Yeah, they're a great yeah. company. Amazing. They're, they're, they're True Image Restore, which allows you to take an image of any machine and move it over to a new machine with dissimilar hardware. And it will pick up and allow you to install all the new drivers so you can take an image that right. was literally on a Dell blade and move it to an HP box or vice versa without any problems as you start to move into, you know, from SCSI to iSCSI, uh, you know, dual NICs from single NICs, whatever your hardware is, and to be able to move into that. And that's just added whole new levels for people to be able to work with disaster recovery and making a much better case for working with virtualization, moving into those aspects, or taking those images and moving them right into a virtualized server. I chaired a panel discussion at one point where a group of guys was talking about orphan servers, using Acronis to image off these orphan NT4 boxes that were running an app that nobody knew how to take care of anymore and sticking them into VMs. 
And it was a campaign of one guy in particular, and I, I'll leave his name out because I, A, I don't remember it, and B, he probably doesn't want me to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> he, was, he was with a healthcare organization, and he went on this rampage for three months, hunting down all these old orphan servers stuffed in corners, imaging them, and running them all off of one big box. Because the load on the individual machine was minute. They were old, old machines. But, uh, and so the horsepower of these new machines was phenomenal. But the big thing for him was, I don't have to worry about keeping that crappy old gear alive anymore. I've got an image of this. And if for some reason we break it, I have a backup of the image of it. And that's, and that's, and that's exactly it. It gets rid of a lot of those headaches. I mean, when you take a look at machines, you're finding that most companies on a server are only using on average about 40% of the RAM and maybe about 20 to 30% of the processor power. And right. that's it. And they're running 10 servers at that point, which literally means 50% of your cost is absolutely lost. And when you get into that, and when you can put two or three or four servers onto a single box, your ROI shoots through the roof. And it pays for itself very, very quickly. And, and solutions like VMware, you know, and, um, you know, when you, when you look at the Microsoft end of it, when you start to take a look at their live to virtual products, it's absolutely great. And, and that's really the key is that the migration tools, uh, that VMware has put out that Microsoft is to take you from a live machine to a virtual image have now become much more reliable and much more easy to use, making it um, a valid choice for a lot of people to start to look at. And that was really the issue is you could create virtual machines, but how do I get my live machines into yeah, that? Those P to V or physical to virtual uh, software packages that are available have made have really made it possible to go in the real world to a virtualized environment. It's a if people haven't haven't given those a shot. Um, you know, pretty much any of them are either free or else you can try them for free, and uh, it'll it'll really rock your world when it comes to doing virtualization. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the two big ones out there is, of course, you know, with VM is the VMware converter. And what's really great about that one is you can do multiple conversions with a centralized management console, and you can convert if you're if you're using Microsoft Virtual PC, you can, uh, or Virtual Server, or even if you have backup exec from Symantec Images or Ghost 9, you virtualize all of those into a VM machine. That's pretty and awesome. you can restore it, and you can clone it. And that's what's, you know, really great. On uh, on the Microsoft end, you do have their Virtual Server Migration Toolkit, their, their, their VSMT, which also is great for taking a live image and doing that. Not quite as much flexibility, but it's free. And that's what's, you know, certainly in Microsoft's corner is it's absolutely free. You know, the, the VM product is great, and it does have some features that Microsoft doesn't have. I've chatted with some of the guys that work in the virtualization areas, and they do have new toolkits and things like that that they're working on that I'm very, very excited about. But now that you have these migration tools, it just absolutely makes it great. And the fact that I can take those tape backups or those ghost images, and I can directly bring that into a virtual, right. really starts to take away a lot of those people that start to get a little bit hanky about touching live machines and going that route. Now, VMware really defined this market in the first place. Microsoft has come in a little later on. Is VMware still the product of choice? Um, you know, from my experience, I, I do find that a lot of companies find that if you're going to start to play with virtualization and you want to see how it's going to work, Use the Microsoft product because all you're going to need to pay for is the, is, is the licensing. And uh, Microsoft is a very, very nice, clear licensing area where you can take a look where it tells you how many licenses you need based upon processors and cores and things like right. that. But it's very, very low cost, you know, which is great. It's a great way to play with it. But I am finding that a lot of my clients, when they get up into more of an enterprise level, when they're starting to run multiple machines in multiple locations, 
that they immediately want to start taking a look at, at, at the VMware product. And, um, you know, specifically either the GSX or ESX, and a lot of people like the ESX, which is more expensive, because it does have one feature that Microsoft does not, which is reallocates memory and CPUs when it's needed amongst the various virtual machines. Right, the dynamic reallocation, yeah. Exactly. It needs much less base memory to run. It has a smaller footprint custom kernel. So it tend, it's, it's literally self-optimizing. And I think that that's one of those areas which if you've only got 5, 10 virtual machines, it's fine. But when you start running into 50, 60, 100, and I was talking with the guys from AT&T that are running several hundred, self-optimization becomes key to make sure that as the users and needs of those various servers change, that they'll always keep that performance level that your users expect. At the same time, there's, you know, uh, I mean, I can speak from our experience here um, in in the job that I do, as well as a number of other compadres that I have across the industry that are that are relying on the Microsoft virtualization to do enterprise class virtualization. We've we do some of both. We we do the Microsoft and and the VMware. We've we've played with a few of the other probably I would say lesser known technologies out there. But um but when properly optimized and properly set up, the Microsoft uh, virtualization technology is also very strong. I agree. If you can get in there and you can tweak it, it'll do it. My only, my only issue, and the one thing that I really want to see Microsoft change, and it's again one of those things that I've gotten luckily by becoming an MVP, I've been able to get some ears, is the issue that their SANS access is still done through guest access, that you actually have to mount a pointer drive letter on the operating system to do it, and it creates some latency, and that's one of the things that they're going to be changing. Um, and there's going to be some plugins, and that will really make a difference because I have so many more clients that are now utilizing SANS, not just as a backup, but actually as a live file share or right. as a SharePoint repository, things along that you line. You know, SAN is really the virtualization of disk storage as well. So we've got this virtualized drive environment, and, and, and you sort of just grazed across this, but the density of storage now with those terabyte SATA drives, I'm talking about 12, 15 terabytes in three U's like a massive amount of capacity, and then fewer higher-density machines, everything running virtually. The, the, the challenge is going to be managing all of this in such a tight space. And also the, the ROI issues that you address, that where well, I could see where ESX is the huge bonus there, that you were consolidating this, this set of systems because you wanted to cut down on the waste of processors. But if you've got to fix a certain amount of memory and a certain number of processors to every VM, you're going to be back to square one again in terms of utilization uh, when the numbers get that high. And that's exactly it. You know, it was amazing. I, I got brought into a meeting um, that I was actually sitting with, speak of the devils, Daniel and Michelle earlier on a project. Ah. And, and the, they were going to bring in six servers for this client. I said, you're insane. You're going to be spending all of this money. We can go with one server. We can bring this together. And But again, it's still only five, six servers. So a single control panel is very, very easy to manage. When you move into those bigger spaces and you start to manage a hundred virtual machines or, and you know, a lot of my clients, you know, it's funny, we, we spent the early years in computers doing mainframes and then we did everything in our power to get away from them. Right. Now we're going to thin client, which is basically mainframe computing again. It's a yes. single source that's pumping everything out and we have dumb terminals and we've literally come full circle on that. And, um, I have a lot of clients that are using not only terminal services, but are using you know, virtual images as those thin client images. And again, it's starting to change the way that we're viewing that and managing that. But we're walking away finally with what every IT manager dreams of, 
which is standardization across the board of, of users and images and what we see on each one, no matter how much of a turnover there's been in IT departments. Is everything virtualizable? Does it make sense to virtualize the database servers? Does it make sense to virtualize a web farm? You know, it, you really have to take a look. It, with SQL, it, it can be really funky. Um, I have one client we're dealing with where they're clustering SQL and went back and forth in virtualization. And when we took a look at the test and the way that it was being used, because it was uh, clients that were coming in via the web and were making donations, it was uh, it's for a non-for-profit group that I'm working with, um, there was lots of tiny little hits. And it was constantly doing a lot of disk thrashing, things like that. We actually saw, again, a bit of a slowdown when we moved from the regular physical machine to the virtuals and had to start pumping up the RAM. We find that for stuff that's not accessed as much, where when you're getting into things like exchange, domain controllers, things like that, that it was absolutely much better in the virtual environment. We actually got better performance than when it was on a single box, Right. Uh, you know, the way that it was being used. So I think you really have to look at each client separately and how it comes together and, and what their final needs were. And clustering, because of the replication between SQL databases, can really start to eat up a lot of bandwidth as you're starting to move through it. And it occurs to me that when you get into these master machines with multiple VMs, the one thing you're sharing is network connectivity. So that's going to be a limiting factor. I mean, gigabit Ethernet is fast, but it's not that fast. You could saturate it. Absolutely. But one of the nice features is the new versions. You know, one of the, my favorite things when I was looking at, you know, the Microsoft Virtual Server 2007 is it finally supports the teaming of NICs. Right. Which is great because I have machines where we've teamed two, three, four NICs together. Not only creates, you know, it reduces the redundancy, but it really starts to open up pipes. And when you're dealing with SQL, especially when it's SQL that has another third-party application on top of it, that can really take a long time to do queries and searches and things like that, it really starts to open up that pipe. And I think that was one of those keys in virtualization was, can we tie all these NIC cards together to open up that pipe? And I think that that's something that's finally been been realized and, and seems to be working very well for the clients that I've been working with. So the big thing that I saw missing from the Microsoft virtualization option that I figured was really why people were going to end up at VMware for much of the cases was uh, client 64-bit OS implementation. I guess that if you're dependent on that, if you want to run Exchange in a VM, Exchange 2007, you have no choice but to go to VMware at this point. It was interesting. I was chatting um, chatting with, uh, with with the guys from Acronis today, and I was saying, when are you going to get some 64-bit support? Because you're exactly right. The new version of Exchange is only going to run in 64-bit platforms. So it's not going to run on the 64 32-bit chips. Um, you know, I was amazed when I first started reading you know, the documents coming out that there's going to be no upgrade path to Exchange 2007. Everybody's like, what are you talking about? And then it's 64-bit only. But I think what's going to be great about that is I have a ton of clients running SQL 2005, and they're very excited about having a secondary excuse to go to those peer chips to truly get the optimization aspects out of SQL 2005. Uh, Acronis is about to come out with a, uh, later on, they said this year, uh, with a 64-bit conversion that will actually take your 32-bit machines and allow you to move them into a 64-bit environment. That does sound like voodoo, though. Boy, oh, boy. Yeah, you know, I'll believe it when I see it and I get a chance to play with it. But, <laughs> you know, they made a believer out of me when they told me that they could take one, you know, that they could take a, a, a gateway that somebody actually bought a gateway server at one point for this company I was working with. 
and it was like literally six, seven years old, and they wanted to move it into a brand new HP, and I said, no way, and it did it beautifully. I was absolutely amazed. That is, so, that is amazing. Know, I, I have faith that they may be able to do it, but I agree. I think Microsoft needs to start getting that out. I'm running Longhorn in the 60-bit, you know, 64, 32-bit version, because I can't run the 64 bits properly, and, you know, really want to see that, that sort of support, because that change that they're making is going to affect a lot of people across the board, and it's going to affect a lot of budgets. Microsoft's been doing putting some effort into um, provisioning and and optimization around you know managing and provisioning virtual machines. I know they have the System Center, I think it's called the System Center Virtual Machine Manager that's in beta right now. Um, but what what's going on in that regard? You, you, the more virtual machines you put into a data center or a test environment. Um, the more the overhead goes up just in terms of managing and maintaining and keeping track of those machines. What what are people thinking about? It's really all over the place. You know, a lot of my clients, I say, you know, you want a dedicated domain controller, you know, that's going to manage all this. But I think as we're moving into that, there needs to become better, smarter ways to manage it. I can't sit there and click on every machine and check the heartbeat and go through all of that. There needs to be a really great piece of software, and there's some good third-party companies that are making some. I'm actually evaluating several right now. That's really going to sit on top and give me a high level, and I would love to be able to say, when a machine drops below this in bandwidth and processor use and I.O. and disk writes, when it gets above this, you know, create these kind of messages or it starts to run certain action scripts that are going to get in there and make the appropriate changes. Aren't you describing Systems Operation Manager? More than that, something that, that, that gets even more granular down to those levels that can actually start to, again, self-adjust itself but to a much higher level of not only just what resources are free, but actually to set up if-then-else statements, kind of saying, if this happens, then do this. Unless this isn't available, then I want you to do something that, that's eminently more complex. And I think there are companies working towards that. And again, because we're seeing large data farm migrations because of companies wanting to become more green, looking to find ways to cut cost, to, 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 to take those massive air-cooled machine rooms are doing and find better, more more effective ways to work with that and get rid of some of that space. Did we actually get a chance to talk about web farms a bit? Because I think web farms are a special case. Okay. Running a multiple, I mean, I've built them as big as 20 pizza boxes, all identical. You know, we're using all of those imaging tricks to make them identical, keep them in sync and so forth. And it strikes me that this is really... Is this a good candidate for VMing? I would admit that you don't build web servers out of the biggest hardware because you run into thread pool issues before you run out of processing power. And you yeah, run into right. .NET's memory issues before you run out of RAM. Yeah, I, I know people that have taken all their old desktops as they start to spin them out and start to cluster them and turn them into web farms and just buy themselves a good Barracuda box that's going to load balance You know that, that whole thing out. Yeah, based on um, asymmetrical performance. Exactly, you know, and to make sure that that no one server gets gets certainly you know tanked on too hard. At this point, for a large web form, it's really really hard considering that most companies are using those small little boxes to say, you know, we could go out and buy these little four hundred dollar boxes and buy fifty of them and just keep stacking them up and you know exponentially bring out our power than to go spend ten or fifteen thousand dollars plus licensing twenty or thirty thousand on a much larger one when the performance is going to be you know, negligible. I think that that really turns into a cost issue. Um, most of the clients that have web farms, that I, at least that I've dealt with, their budgets are nowhere near as large as application development or larger product service companies. What have you run into with that? 
Well, yeah, I think there's some of it's a money issue. And I'm, I was thinking more in the, the thousand to fifteen hundred dollar range for my pizza boxes, but I'm still talking new. You're talking older, really the Google model of exactly any old piece of junk will do. Yes, a motherboard uh, placed into a piece of cork. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, where the case right. isn't worth the cost, right? Uh, which, which is an interesting place and an interesting way to build machinery. Well, where you're where you're doing distributed application deployment, you know, even whether it's multiple data center or a single data center, and your your applications support that, and you're buying a bunch of you know one U Dell boxes or HP boxes or whatever it is you're buying, and you're dropping those in there. There, there comes a point when the the costs that we're talking about aren't just about the machine itself it's also about heating cooling power even power capacity um, and it gets to be there's a management cost associated with it as well and how much time does it take to management and to roll it out one of the beauties of working with virtual machines and especially both on the VMware and the Microsoft side with the virtual machine manager 2007 is that you have the ability to maintain a standardized library to keep that up to date patch it in one place roll it out to multiple places um, and to do quick provisioning and bring things up. And sometimes I know that our experience has been the time that you save in the provisioning process, that time is money. We use virtualization a lot in our development environments and test environments. And what that allows us to do is to be very flexible. We can bring them up, roll them out very quickly. Um, the time that we save and the, uh, the ability to be very agile and very quick in terms of continuing to get the work done quickly, there's some real value associated with that. Dealing with individual boxes, especially if we're talking about old boxes and just adding them to a web farm, when one goes down, then you have to deal with that. It can get pretty expensive. Absolutely, and it really comes into sort of when are you walking in. The, the problem that I run into is saying, hey, we need to go spend X amount of dollars on a box. They're like, well, if this one breaks, we're only... And they look at it as one-off. That's only a 1000 bucks to fix this, and you want me to spend a much larger amount. Uh, it, it gets hard for some of those clients that are really, really financially stuck. But you're right. When you turn around, you take a look at, look, this is what you're spending. And it's really about gathering your data. How much are you spending on cooling? How much are you spending on power? What is your physical footprint? How much is it costing you to manage that physical footprint? How much time is being spent by your IT people, you know, slowly buying RAM? And the problem is a lot of companies are not really good at looking at that two gig of RAM chip that gets ordered from, you know, CDW every four weeks, and then this little thing that comes in and this little fix. But it really does start to add up. And if you can take some time and really do a good project plan, really get your numbers together, the numbers really do start to pay for themselves very quickly. And virtualization for that aspect does absolutely start to make sense from time and labor, but it's hard to convince people. Well, in companies, you know, I mean, I work with banks a lot. And even in large, huge companies like these financial institutions, spending Five thousand dollars on a piece of hardware is a great big deal. Yeah, it is. You know, if it's a capital expenditure, it's going to be hard to do. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that have heard that before, have experienced that, and have probably been just as frustrated as me when it comes down to that. One of the beauties of doing virtualization again is is that you're not necessarily doing many, many, many overtime capital expenses. You may do one larger capital expense, possibly. But you can realize the benefit of of uh, you know multipurposing that that capital expense in order to in order to uh, gain all of those other you know flexibility benefits. And that and that's exactly correct. And you know it it, it is funny because you know IT departments spend money. That that's all we do. That's all we're good for is how much money do I have to give you this year? And they look at it as this big suck <laughs> hole that you throw large bags of money in. Yeah, never mind the fact that everything works. And, and that's exactly it. And you're like, okay, you were able to make your sales calls today and able to access your email and able to access your sales management product and you were able to print and you closed X amount of deals today. So, you know, 
the, 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 I always I always equate ITs and mothers, and that is when you when they do their job well, no one notices. But when they're not doing their job well, there's always a finger pointed. <laughs> I found sometimes it's necessary to just turn off a server for an hour or so to let everybody know <laughs> just how important you are to their lives. How much do you love me? How now? much exactly. do you, because you know I notice that when I do my job well, none of you call me. But the yes. moment I shut a server off, I get phone calls like you wouldn't believe. I get to feel all the love, yes. <laughs> all that love, exactly. It's the beauty of managing from <laughs> exactly. behind. Right? And, and it, it's interesting it because, yeah. you know, the role of an IT manager or systems administrator over the last five years has really dramatically changed from someone who really, you know, back in the NT4O days, you know, you know, back was really just about understanding technology and could you network this stuff together and putting in a switch in a hub and just getting computers to talk to each other. And then with Windows 2000, it was Active Directory and making it easier for people to find resources. Now, my job is is really half of, of how to do stuff. The other half has really become much more of a business specialist and understanding business. How is right. this going to benefit? Where's the ROI coming in? You know, overall, you know, TCO, how are we going to get this back? I know more about leasing and dollar buyouts than any IT guy should have to know. <laughs> yep. But it, it's become the landscape is, I'm going to spend money, but here's how, it's not how much I'm going to spend, here's how much I'm going to save you. Right. Yeah, the other thing that we really are, I think, focused on as IT professionals nowadays is we're focused on the customer. Sure. You know, uh, gone are the days, although we still see it, and it's and it's really unfortunate, actually, that we still see it, but but at least somewhat gone, and or going by the wayside are the days of the, you know, the IT guys in their silos rolling their eyes and, and you know, cursing under their breath. It's, uh, you know, my job. You know, my job as the VP of IT here is to make sure that our team is 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 making sure that everybody else is able to do their job really, really well. You know, if I'm doing my job well, then everybody else is able Absolutely. to do their well, job well. Well, it's funny because well. I still roll my eyes, but what's great is I'm usually logged in through terminal services, so nobody sees me roll my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> We're remoted in. That's the beauty of working from your kitchen in your boxer shorts. Exactly. So they don't have to hear what I'm saying or have to see my – all they know is – I'm helping them in solving that. And, you know, between terminal services and, and products like, you know, like go to my PC and things like that, it's made it much easier to sort of manage those desktops and, and to handle that. And with a lot of my clients, we're turning to, again, we have problems, and this is where virtualization comes in is and is using it within client. And, and that's become a huge thing where I turn around going, you know, I, I went into a company that I got hired at about six months ago to do an overall, you know, where are we at? And I was amazed to find out, you know, how many people were streaming radio. You know, just eating the bandwidth a lot. Right. And although many of these people needed to listen to Dr. Laura, it probably wasn't the best use of network <laughs> resources. Well, as long as they're listening to Run As Radio. Right. Then and, it's and fine. that would be fine because, you know, they can download that locally and listen to it. So that, that's always a good thing. You know, my, 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 my personal favorite was a guy who had the Ages of Empires expansion pack, which meant not only did he have time to play the whole game, but to go ahead and add an expansion pack so he could continue to play it more. <laughs> You know, it was the, phenomenal peer-to-peer downloads, which of course puts any company, at, you know, at risk because now it's redistribution of copyright material. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the only way that you're going to manage this because you've got open terminals and you've got three different companies that are running underneath one roof was to go to Thin Client, and we virtualized out the Thin Client, and it was absolutely amazing because everybody had exactly the same desktop, and what we found was that calls to the help desk dropped by nearly seventy percent. Wow! Because 
it was some piece of, it was, it was a tool, it was a Yahoo toolbar, it was, uh, Incredimail, which I incredibly hate that product. <laughs> uh, because of, my Outlook won't open, it won't do this, it can't find this, because Incredimail is somehow messing it up, or, you know, some plugin that somebody thought would be great for remembering, you know, this or that. It, it just gets rid of all of those aspects, and rather than spend a ton of time and money locking your network down to virtualize out that perfect desktop, and then to literally have that across the board, you know exactly what you're getting into, and it really, really makes a difference. And that, whether you know tying that in with with a thin client solution, is another way to look at because people tend to just think of virtualization as a back of the house tool. It makes a great front of the house tool. And if you've got customer service reps where their job is to sit there on phone calls all day long, and you want to make sure they're not playing solitaire, they're limited to where they're going to go on the web, they're not installing. Uh, Firefox, and I love Firefox. I think it's a great product, but the problem is, is that becomes people's default browsers and they go, why can't I put in a help desk ticket? Right. Because our help right. desk software doesn't support that. Well, and if, and if Firefox is well supported, then make it the standard for everyone. Exactly. It's just, the main thing you want is that consistency. It, it, exactly. And, you know, most companies, that's really the first thing they look into. It, and it also gets rid of that issue of license compliancy. Um, you know, people, who have, who have installed software, oh, I brought it from home. Well, that doesn't do me any good. If I don't, when I do a tracking, you know, I'm using, you know, a track, you know, track, you know, track it, and I get a list that says that you're running Photoshop and I don't have a Photoshop license for you. Yeah. That becomes our issue. Uh, and it's absolutely tremendous. Another, another use of that, and it's interesting, I was out chatting, um, doing the LA Master Series for the, uh, for the LA.net group a few weeks ago, and I had all of these .NET developers who were not developing inside of virtual workstations and who were testing betas, betas, Ouch. inside of the regular laptops. Yeah, totally like, inconsistent results. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. We're uh, we're over time. Oh, perfect. But I think we were rolling. So I, I'm not going to begrudge it at all. I think we got into some very interesting stuff there. And I know we're not done with virtualization. We keep coming back here. It was great to sort of get a state of where we are right now. So let's uh, let's cut it off today and plan for another one soon. That sounds great. Sounds like a good idea. You know what we should do next time, Richard? What's that? Let's just set up let, let's set up a show for the future and and I think it would be interesting to hear from the listeners cuz I know they're using virtualization, but what are the secrets that make virtualization work? Cuz I can think about things like VT and AMD V technology and using 64-bit hosts and things, but what else? What are the things the absolute must-dos in order to make virtualization really scream and really, really work. Great idea. I, I think that would be great. I just want to throw this in that if there are listeners that have specific questions on virtualization, um, you know, not only can they email me, and, and you can go to our website, which is ocgpros.com. Uh, you can email me directly at srose at ocgpros. But I have a blog. Uh, it's mcsegeek.wordpress.com, and I love it when people post questions. And I do some articles on virtualization or I'm having problems with this and I'm more than happy to sit there and, you know, give my two cents and put in some references to folks and point them in the direction of any of the products that we've talked about today or some of the other solutions. Or if they have things that they love, I love hearing about it because uh, I love sharing that information. Great, Steve. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, And guys. we'll talk to you again next week on Run As Radio. <laughs> <laughs>